second. Two years removed from losing 100. The Rangers have won the pennant. And they will play in the World Series for the first time since 2011. Their first real chance to make a new World Series memory after the heartbreak of that 2011 season. And plenty of heartbreak along this path that they've been able to overcome, they've responded to. And they're the champions of the American League toppling the Houston Astros. Well, they can hit. I mean, you know, they can really hit. And it helped a lot when they got Garcia back after he got his leg injured against us. It helped, uh, you know, to get Young back at third base. You know, I mean, Sometimes you gotta, I don't like tipping my cap to anybody, but when somebody like, beats the hell out of me, what else you gonna do? That is Dusty Baker, still the manager of the Houston Astros, Kevin Barker, for uh, another couple of days, although the story was out there as soon as the Houston Astros were eliminated that Dusty has said to people that, this could very well be his last year as a manager, his last year as a Houston Astros manager. He wants to stay in the game in some capacity, and certainly you'd have to think that a guy like Dusty Baker would be able to find a position in baseball. But, uh, well, Kevin, congratulations to uh, the Texas Rangers. They will host Game 1 of the World Series Friday at Globe Life Field. We don't know their opponent. The Arizona Diamondbacks beating the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday. That series is tied at three games apiece. The seventh and deciding game goes tonight in Philadelphia. Two things, Kevin. One, what the hell did you do to Christian Javier? And two, at any point did you think that the Texas-Houston series would be over before the Philadelphia-Atlanta or Philadelphia-Arizona series? Yeah, absolutely not. Look, I, it's uh, Christian Javier. It's just like every other pitcher, right? When you don't have fastball command, you struggle to you know make up for it trying to throw secondary pitches and against good lineups. He looked to me like he was aiming it instead of pitching it. I mean, when you do that against the lineup that Dusty was talking about, you're going to get hammered and you're not going to last very long. But for me, it was the it was the Michael Brantley at bat in the first inning after they'd given up three runs, and then they come up and you know it's first and third and. You know, you've moved a guy up because Tucker's not doing the things that they thought Tucker was supposed to be doing. And, you know, it was sort of setting the tone. Give Bruce Bochy credit that he he walks the best hitter in the playoffs to force another hitter to come up and have a quality at bat. And Michael Brandt was late on basically a center cut. I mean, it was a little bit up fastball, but, you know, he stays inside that a little bit more and, and drives that to left field. That game might... The outcome might have been a little bit differently, but especially when you got Max Scherzer on the mound, who was fighting it, right? It was, you know, I, I'm I'm to the realization now that Max Scherzer in the playoffs just another pitcher. Like I I'm not treating him, looking at him, watching him, thinking, man, that's a Hall of Famer. Like he just doesn't pitch like that this time of the year. And Bruce Bochy coming out and taking him out when he did, I think sort of should tell you you know, the way they feel about that situation. And, you know, he's there to hopefully try and give them what he can give them. <laughs> and and they're yeah. going to go from there. So, 
Yeah, for me, it was that at bat. That that was the turning point. With was you know, if Michael Brantley has a positive at bat, there outcome might have been differently. But I mean, give the Rangers credit, man. They 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 have basically everything you need, right? The balance that they do have, the lefties that do do have, the left-handed hitter they have is the best hitter on their in their lineup, and Seager. And you know, they made a good pitch, and when you throw a good pitch to their best hitter and he hits it 450 feet sort of lets the air out of the out of the balloon isn't it absolutely so i I think it started with him right we've been yelling and screaming at least you have when bo bichette went down that vladdy needs to step it up that's sort of what seager did is in the biggest moment they needed him to punch first and when he got a pitch that you know he should have hit 450 feet he did it just sort of you know helped everything sort of fall in place and they went on from there it would just be interesting to see if it is Philly. How does Boach handle the pockets for the Phillies when it comes to the lefties? They yeah. really don't have a lefty to get out really good left-handed hitters when it matters the most. And that'll be the sort of the thing, right, is how does he do it? Like, they know they got the two-headed monster in the first couple of guys with the Rangers that can give them length. After that, there's a lot of matchup going on there, and I would think it would start with pockets. So, it's intriguing, right? It'll, 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 you know, it'll, it'll sort of be the, 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 the Goliath trying to, the, you know, the Diamondbacks trying to beat the Goliath, and the Rangers trying to see if they can hit their way to a World Series, which is not always what we talk about. No, uh, you know, when we talk about power pitching and power hitting being the key to going to the World Series, we generally first it's power pitching. Yeah, that and and. Uh, that that to me is I mean look I'm with you that lineup uh, that lineup will wear you down. Uh, I just don't know if if they face Arizona in the final. Um, you know I I really like I really like Texas's chances. I don't know about Texas and Philly because I just don't. I, I'm with you. I just don't know if I don't know if Texas can beat Philadelphia with that bullpen. You know, what Jordan Montgomery did yesterday, Jordan Montgomery. I mean, I, to me, Texas's biggest, the only way Texas beats Philadelphia is they've got to, I mean, they've just got to outslug them. And you've got to hope that it goes seven games and that at that point you can use Jordan Montgomery and maybe John Gray. Like, you can just, you can un- unload things. But, man, I don't know how. I don't know how if you're Texas you handle Philadelphia. You know, just look at that game three matchup. Um, Max Scherzer against Ranger Suarez. You know, if 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 Philadelphia can can wrap it up tonight, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Adolis Garcia. Now he's not yet Jordan Alvarez, but this is a pretty good postseason for a dude to have. <laughs> this is like a Superman yeah. type of postseason so far. Yeah, he's one of those guys, right, doesn't have to pull the baseball to have success. He can let the ball travel and hit a ball down the right field line, being a right-handed hitter. Those don't grow on trees. Like, we've been talking about this till we're blue in the face, about, you know, uh, dare I say, bringing it back around to the Blue Jays, that they don't really have a guy that can go line to line. Well, the Rangers do. They got a couple, but 
mainly they got that one dude. And Dusty said it right when when they got him back, it just sort of fell in place. Right now, you got your run producer, your thumper. That if you pitch around a couple of other guys, like if Marcus Simeon doesn't show up, which you know, quite frankly, the last four or five games he hasn't, and mm-hmm. it just seems like they hadn't missed a beat because. You know, when a dude in the last three games has got 12 RPIs and it's not a surprise that he's doing these things because of the year that he's had and the power that he has and the and the face that the faith that Boach and, and the organization have in a guy that can change the game with one swing. And I, yeah, I don't think we talk a lot about the defense that the Rangers throw out there either. They catch the balls they're supposed to catch like you got to beat them. I understand their bullpen and, and matching up and, you know, Boaches sort of gutting it and pocketing it and, and khaki in it. And, like, he's doing a bunch of things to, to try and figure out the bullpen part of it after the big two that he has in his rotation. But, man, the way they catch it, they when the ball's hit to a dude, they're out. Like, it's – and most of the – Special plays that they're supposed to make in big moments. You know, the outfielders, they run good routes. They get good jumps. They're very athletic. They hit the cutoff guy. They got strong enough arms to throw a guy out at home if they have to. Like, they do the little things that force the other team to play perfect games against them. And especially when your lineup can drop 10 runs on you at any time. Yeah. Like, this team's going to be tough, right? And you talked about the Diamondbacks. You ever heard of Saul Frank? You ever heard of Ginkle? I actually have heard of You ever heard, heard of, of that Thompson Frank. guy that, yeah, I I had most to, people have it. Sportsnet.ca, when I had to write my, my six to watch for the series, I put Saul Frank in there just because you had to figure at some point that dude was going to, I was going to come up in a big situation. I just are against against Philadelphia. But, I mean, having said that, that doesn't necessarily mean that I thought he was going to come through, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not a household thing. name, right? It's not, no. He's not a guy that, man, I can't wait to saw Frank gets in the game. Like, you actually, if you're a fan of baseball and you're not a Diamondbacks fan, you're you're getting on the old, uh, you know, page and flipping through it and going, hey, dude's left-handed. He might be pretty good. <laughs> that kind uh, of thing, right? uh, just one last thing on the, uh, on the Houston series uh, before we move on. You know, one of the things I think a lot of us were looking ahead to in that series was the whole situation with Martin Maldonado and Yenny uh, uh, I was going to say Yenny Cano, um, brain fart. But uh, the uh, the backup Garcia, Adolis Garcia. Garcia. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the catcher for uh, um, for uh, the Houston Astros. Yeah, Yenny Yenny Cano. No, who am I talking about, Jeff? Get your head on straight. Martin Maldonado? No, no, no. The backup catcher for the Astros that that, uh, Dusty refused to use as a pinch hitter for most of the game. Um, And, and, I mean, it it turned – it was going to be a flashpoint going into the series because we know that – we know that that, uh, Dusty relies on Martin Maldonado. Um, We know that he's been reluctant or has been reluctant at times – to uh, to make a move with Martin Maldonado. Martin Maldonado kept coming up in, in crucial situations. Um, Yaner uh, Diaz, that's who I was thinking of. Thank you. Yaner Diaz, guy's got 20-odd home runs. He's going to be the catcher, their catcher of the future. Um, actually, mm-hmm. probably be the catcher next year. 23 home runs, 60 RBI this year. Any, any surprises there for you? I mean, a lot of people pointed that no. out. That Dusty could have gone to him early in the game, 
had chances with runners on base, stuck with Martin Maldonado, who was not going to, I mean, let's face it, he's not an offensive, uh, he's not much of an offensive threat. Going into the series, that was something a lot of people were talking about. You surprised maybe that Dusty didn't go to him a little earlier. He was really reluctant throughout the series to go to him. No, Abreu early in the game had his chance. Tucker, the entire series, the entire playoffs had their chances like to drop this on a nine-hole hitter who right, is trying to help get through lineup like the Rangers to keep him in the yard and stay away from the big hit and get through, you know, slow the heart rate down. And that's more important to Dusty Baker than it is because of the other guys that he has in his lineup. Absolutely not. Like, I, it's – I mean, if you want to poke and pick at that, I guess you can, but not me. Like I'm, he's done it this year. I'm more of the at bat that Brantley had. I'm more about the the at bats that Tucker didn't have. I'm more at bat with the runner at third and less than two outs that Abreu had late in there, early in the game. Like there was at bats that you count on with your guys that are coming up that you're thinking, man, they should have better at bats than they didn't. So, yeah, not me. Uh, David Sampson, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, joins us later on in the show. But for now, uh, Bob Nightingale is a national MLB reporter with USA Today. He is based in Arizona. Bob, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Blair and Barker today. We trust that you're keeping well. Look, I want to get to the Phillies-Arizona series. But before I do that, I know that you know Dusty Baker really well. Dusty Baker you know, has intimated to people uh, or at least there are reports out there that he's intimated to people that this this was going to be his final year managing the Astros and that he wants to stay in the game in some capacity. Uh, how, how do you think that's going to play out? Do you think we've seen Dusty Baker manage his last game? I mean, he's had such a great career. And, you know, he says, you know, whatever you decide, he's the one to upstage the players uh, and, you know, draw attention. I remember when Bruce Bochy did that, and Bochy said a big regret because then he came back. So Dusty didn't want to do that. We'll see. He's going to meet with the uh, Astros owner Jim Crane here in the next couple of days, and we'll decide exactly what the, what the next step is. All right, let's move on to uh, to the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, a series that I did not see going to seven games. I I don't know how many people did. I will admit that uh, I've not spent a great deal of time uh, watching the Diamondbacks. Bob, you have. Have you seen anything in this series out of the Diamondbacks that has surprised you? No. I mean, the only thing that's surprising is that they haven't played like themselves until last night. Uh, and this this team went wild during the, during the regular season. That's how they won games. And until last night, they only attempted one stolen base. Uh, you know, Corbin Carroll, probably the top five, six players in the National League. You know, he's been brutal. Christian Walker's done nothing. And yet here they are. Uh, I guess the biggest surprise, Jeff, is that the bullpen. The bullpen was in shambles most of the year. You know, just like the Texas Rangers kind of pieced things together, and, and now it's uh, it's working out, and they're all, you know, pitching lights out. So that that's, uh, you know, that's the biggest surprise is just that the bullpen has, has done as well as it has. How do you think Tor Lovello handles Brandon Fault today? It's uh... – you know, again, last night we saw he was up three to one, and it looked like he couldn't wait to take his starter out. Right? It's those pockets that you don't want to get beat, no matter what the score tells you, uh, against the top of the order. Right? It's the couple of lefties that can change the game. How do you think he handles fault today? I think he's going to do the same thing as he's been doing. I think he's going to pull him. You know, uh, you know before the sixth inning, 
Uh, not going to let him go three times in the lineup. It's been working. I mean, you, know, you hate to see it, yeah. but let a guy go. But I, I bet they do the same thing uh, just because they have. Uh, you know, kept waiting for last night to blow up. So in the fight game to blow up, and it hasn't yet. So you might as well stick to what's, what's working. Yeah, it is remarkable. Yeah. I know everybody in Toronto was thinking back to John Schneider's decision, and my first reaction was, man, it's amazing – it's amazing how those pitching decisions work out when your team scores some runs for you. I, that, you know, which is the thing the Jays didn't do all, all, all series against Minnesota was they couldn't score runs. But I look credit Arizona. You're right. I, I know the, we had Brian Anderson on yesterday and we were talking about the very first inning of the very first game. I think it was Corbin Carroll gets on base and Jeff Francoeur and Ron Darling. They're all saying, all right, we're going to get a look now at what the Diamondbacks do best, and that's steal bases and the pressures on JT Realmuto and the pitch. And and you're right. Until yesterday, they hadn't tried to force the issue in the base pass. What what do you think caused that to change? Was that just simply right situation, right time? Aaron Nola on the mound. We know that he, you know, has got a relatively effective slide step. But was that just simply? you know, a matter of right place and right time as opposed to any sort of grand strategic decision? Yeah, I, I just think the have to change, you know, change things up, you know, quicker to the plate, uh, slide step and everything else. And I think Dimex have been timid. Yeah, I think Carroll's been on base, I want to say, it's about 40 pitches now where he hasn't even attempted mm-hmm. to uh, steal a base or even fake a stolen base. So it's almost like everybody's gun shy now. I'll be curious to see what happens next year. I mean, people might as well follow what the Phillies did and do the same thing when they when they play Arizona and don't let them run wild. So yeah, that's the surprising part. As you said, if you'd say before the season started, I mean before the series started, that Corbin Carroll would have like you know two hits, you know Walker being shut down and Bam doing nothing and, and still doing this. It's uh, it's mind blogging. Uh, yeah, it should be a fun one tonight. I mean Suarez, you know, Rangers Suarez pitched very well too for Game Three. But you know, we'll see about that crowd. I and mean, the crowd, you know, I'm sure, want to get into it. I think it. I think it helps. Last night was a five o'clock start, so probably people got off work without having a chance to have a few adult beverages. <laughs> now eight o'clock start. It could be pretty lively before game time. Bob, do you think they're surprised the way Cattell Marte is playing in the playoffs? No, he's a he's a, a good player, and they uh, so. People shouldn't be. I mean, this is him. He's not doing anything, you know, that he hasn't done all year. Same way with, uh, you know, Marino, uh, Gurriel. Uh, you know, let's face it. I mean, if the Diamondbacks don't make that trade with the Blue Jays, they're not in the playoffs. Yeah, they they know that. I mean, Marino is a, uh, you know, he's going to be, uh, I think, a perennial all-star behind the plate. You know, Gurriel had a great year. He's a free agent. So I, I doubt they re-signed him. But yeah, it should be you know no surprise as far as you know what the offensive guys have done. You know more so more of a, a disappointment where some of the big guys you know haven't done what they've done all season. So how do you think the Phillies respond to this now? Because eh, let's face it, you know Game Seven the pressure's on both sides. But come on, let's be honest. If the Arizona Diamondbacks lose in Game Seven, they can still look back and say, "Hey, we took a step forward. You know, we made it all the way." to the NLCS, came within a game, all that good stuff. If the Phillies lose, then that's the second year in a row they won't have won the World Series, and they're spending a lot of money to not win a World Series. Yeah, I, mean, I think the panel will go absolutely ballistic if they're not in the World Series. 
I think the owner, John Melton, will be really, really disappointed. Uh, you know, same with same Dave Dabrowski. But, yeah, this team is built built to win, and certainly to get to the World Series. And uh, to lose to a team of the Diamondbacks, who have a payroll of about you know, $130 million less than the Phillies. Phillies all the star power. So, I mean, it's hard to believe the Phillies will lose two straight home games. It hasn't happened in a postseason since the Rockies did it way back in 2007. Yeah. Uh, but they need to get that early lead because when they get when they jump out like that, the crowd gets into it and everything else. If the uh, you know Dimebacks jump out to a lead like they did last night, that crowd gets quiet. It's, it's not you know, not loud like people like to make it out to be. Bob, really good of you to join us. I know it's going to be a hectic day for you today, hectic travel times. Travel safely, and uh, again, thanks for your time as always. Thanks be well. a lot, Bob. All right, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Take care. See ya. Bob Nightingale, national MLB reporter with uh, USA Today. And, uh, yeah, th- there you go. That'll that'll sit nicely with Blue Jays fans. Uh, <laughs> they don't make the Moreno-Guriel deal. They don't make the playoffs. And you can probably yeah. make the case – or they don't – they're not where they are. You can probably make the case uh, – you can probably make the case that that is true. Okay, Kevin, we've seen these dudes for six games now. Again, I haven't watched the Arizona Diamondbacks over six games all year. I don't know if I've watched mm-hmm. them over six innings. All. I, that's not true. I watched one other than the games other than the games against the Jays, I watched the Diamondbacks play once against the Dodgers. So I'm going to uh, I'm at least going to give myself credit for that. But now that you've seen Gurriel and Moreno, <laughs> now that you've seen Moreno in particular, yeah. Do you feel differently about him? than you did last year. Yeah, not I, really. I put I mean, my hand up. I sure do. I, I didn't. Yeah, not me. Okay. Not me. Not not offensively. I mean, he's still got some some things to figure out offensively, right? He, he needs to learn how to ambush. He needs to learn how to be a little bit more balanced, you know, use the pull side of the field. Like, this is a nice little story that in the NLCS, he's hitting third for one of the teams. Like, yeah, I, I mean, that might say more about the team than it does say about him. He's I'm not, not hitting third take... for the Blue He's not hitting third for the Blue Jays this year. Well, I mean, I, mean, yeah, I don't know but... what the hell. They had Brandon Belt and Dalton Varsho hitting cleanup, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe. Again, I look. I this is 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 he a is he a, a good player? Absolutely. Like he does a lot of things really really well. Is he a finished product? Absolutely not. Right. It's and I don't think they were expecting him this year to be that. Right. There's nope. some things offensively, defensively. He is defense is a lot more ahead of his offense. And I think I keep they're saying forced. If, if he if the only way he makes the Jays this year is if Danny Jansen gets hurt or Kirk gets hurt in his trade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, making the team out of spring training is different than playing a lot and when it comes rolls around to September. He would have been on the team playing a ton. Like, let's not well, lie yeah, about because, it. Because Danny Jansen was because and, Danny and, Jansen was hurt. That's and they I were look they were looking for reasons to not have to play Kirk all the time. And that would have been a good, real good reason to not have to do that, now. to have that. To, can, yeah. Controls I mean, the bottom of the strike was, zone real well. Yeah. Offensively, he was doing nothing. Like, let's be honest, nothing. And he's a, he's a turtle on the basis. Like, he's, he's doing a nothing. Human double play. So that, and, and there was a lot of other dudes in the lineup who were doing nothing. And if they could bring up a guy that could do something, they would have brought him up and he would have been playing a lot more than other people would have been playing. So, yeah, look. 
Does he does he have lots of tools? Absolutely. Is he a three hole hitter on a team on the in the NLCS? Yeah, for the Diamondbacks. Like I think that's the way you should look at it, right? It, is it shining a light on what the future could look like for him offensively? Absolutely, right? He can lay off a strike to ball breaking ball. He can hit velocity. I, mm-hmm. That that I think is. If he's not married and always playing into inside out everything to right, okay, three hole hitters can't do that all the time. No. Like, it just you know, unless you're playing shortstop for the New York Yankees for twenty straight years, that's the only dude that could do that. So, yeah, look, it's a uh, does it is it a slap in the face for the Blue Jays? Absolutely. Like this is the way Lourdes sometimes uses because he is a long limbed hitter the way he can like he did last night use the the flow of his approach and the timing of his front foot to get the hands in the slot that they're supposed to be in he has tremendous plate coverage because he has enough bat speed to catch up to velocity he can change the game and he would have been or looked really nice sitting in the six hole for the Toronto Blue Jays consistently most of the season. I get what they were trying to do, mm. but what they're trying to do and what they did is a whole different story. Yeah, well, in terms of wins above replacement, I still think I, I think How about Varsha, that. I think Varsha, <laughs> I think Varsha over Varsha uh, over Guriel's a no brainer oh, to me. Wow, that's your uh, inner khaki. Kidding oh, me? That's hardly a khaki thing. That's hardly a khaki. A wins above replacement. What? Like, war, uh, baby, can he change war. the? Is he, do, who would you want up in a big spot, Lourdes or Dalton? Well, yeah, okay, I'd rather have that's Lourdes all you, up. That, let me that's ask all you, you this. Need to say to yourself, let me ask you this. Wins above replacement. Who do you want in center field next year for your Blue Jays, Varsho uh, or yeah. Guriel? Who do you I want, want in the outfield, Varsho or Guriel? I mean, come on, that's it's a no brainer. If you get, if you, here's the thing. If you had traded Holy Dalton Varsho for one of those dudes, okay. But for two of those dudes. And then you got to, rid of Teoscar, too. So you basically were punching and, and kicking all at the same time. When, yeah, you took away the middle of the order, basically, but, of your entire team. But you <laughs> know my theory in that. Yeah, and well, I, still I, think my the, I still think my theory oh, yeah. is right. That they screwed it that. up. <laughs> I think they tried. I think they had no. I That's think they had. Theory. I think they had three or four balls in the air, and they dropped yeah. two of them. Yeah, and yeah. They ended up, so and, basically, they just said, "Get rid of all of them." And the one ball they, the one ball down. they caught, the one ball they caught, they look at it and said, uh, "Boy, can play defense." Brandon Belt. Woo. No. They caught Brandon. They oh. thought, well, that's all we have left. I guess we could go after Brandon Belt, and maybe we can uh, put Dalton Varsho. He was their in. best hitter. Yeah. <laughs> Empty calories. Empty calories. Uh, yeah, it, it was empty calories. You look, uh, David you look, Sampson, you, hey, oh, sorry. No, no. Uh, David Sampson joins us in a few minutes. I'm going to ask David this question. I want to ask you this right now. Okay, the Astros are done. Yeah. Uh, pitching. They need pitching. It's real simple. Okay. It's easy. They, they don't need any lineup. They don't need better defenders. They don't need a bullpen. Like, I'm sure they'll add and subtract out there the way most really good teams do. You need to change the scenery, hungry, that kind of thing. They need, as I'm going to steal your phrase, a couple of dudes in the rotation. No That's problem with their need. lineup. Absolutely not. Okay. All right. No, Absolutely just, not. All right. No. I, I, 
you know. Looks to me like Alex Bregman is might be wearing down a bit there. We know that Maldonado is going to be gone. We know that uh, that 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 will happen. Uh, Andrew Diaz will be the the everyday catcher. Maldonado will be gone. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we see them. It wouldn't surprise me if we see them make a move of some description to get another hitter in there. I mean, you almost. I mean, Matt Chapman is available. I mean, they could spend a little bit of money, bring him in to play third. Well, I'm not saying. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not saying. Come on. I mean, uh, let's let's be honest here. I'm not saying. I mean, yeah, Alex Bregman. Al, I mean, let's be, I'm not saying let's, that. I'm. But I'm wondering if maybe I, I don't know. Uh, like what? You don't think they need anything in that lineup? If they ran it yeah, back next year, same lineup, you'd be okay with that. I mean, it may, look, they made it to Game Seven with what they have, right? It's and they're still if, paying if Tucker, Abreu for if the if next Tucker three, would have been better years, and Abreu would have been better. You know, it's the sort of the same old thing. I mean, we talked about this with the Blue Jays. This guy, that guy, and that guy would have been better. You, if Tucker would have been better, the outcome probably of that series would have been way different. Do you okay? think anything less? Because I know you're a big Tucker fan. You think anything less of him after what we've seen in the postseason, or is that just, you know, good players have bad postseasons? It has happened. I, I think he has a long swing. That's okay. what I think. I don't think he has a consistent finish to his swing. And when you don't have that, they can throw to you and you have some holes that are hard to overcome, and then you tend to overswing and chase a little bit more. And because they are really good this time of the year at attacking weaknesses, you tend to not get a ton of hits. David Sampson is host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, former president of the Florida Marlins. He's got a World Series ring. About that. It's a big one, too. I've seen them. I've seen the Marlins rings. Well, most of them are big. Well, th- this this is huge. This is a massive. This is like they're I bigger could, than normal. I mean, how big I, could it be? I could put two fingers in some of them. Like I, I, I've, I've, I've seen them. They were massive. They're great rings. Like, well, I think those really are the ones rings. you put on the mantle. The other ones you wear, right? You get two of them. I don't know. I think I mean, you should. I wear it all the time. Uh, David Sampson joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker. A reminder, we'll be on from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590 to fan uh, through to the end of the World Series or thereabouts. Right? Diamondbacks and six. Stop it. <laughs> what? Boy, I, I, the only thing I know is the, the self-proclaimed greatest fan base in the history of baseball. After that Lourdes home run, boy, they, they it was crickets. Early. Yeah, you'd have to turn the volume up on the TV just to hear them. Did you see the Is anybody there? Early? Is anybody Anyhow. there? Anyhow. Yeah, let's insult Don't Phillies fans. And, let's insult Phillies to yell and scream. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to us via podcast, please leave. <laughs> Parker, please leave. Please leave a lovely uh, five-star uh, rating and a lovely review. And it, it, the thing you folks have to remember is I've got, I've got Barker and FaceTime here while we're doing the show. And it's just, I, I, yeah, 
anyhow. There's, just, there's a lot going on. It's, co- it's complicated. There's a lot going on. At least I'm wearing a shirt. That's all that matters. <laughs> well, I'm, come on. I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing the same shirt I wore. Trust me, yeah, if I just, you weren't, I, would, I wouldn't be FaceTiming you. Okay? It's the same shirt pretty much I've worn. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. For like the last month. Well, I wouldn't know. About do you do that. laundry? Like, yeah, of course I do. Some would say it's, just, it's, just, it's a it's it's. Like I could argue that you don't. It's the same sweatshirt it's every a, it's day. It's a hoodie. It's a hoodie every That's day. All it is. <laughs> Anyhow, let's bring in David Sampson. He's host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, uh, former president of the Florida Marlins. David, thanks for joining us. As always on Blair and Barker. So, um, you are Jim Crane. I don't know if you want to be Jim Crane, but your team has uh, just been eliminated in seven games by Texas. Your iconic manager has indicated that he's probably going to step down. And Kevin and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, you've run it back a couple of times with the same group. It, if you're the Astros, are you bringing this group back again for another year or are you looking at maybe seizing the opportunity with Dusty likely going to maybe make a significant move and, and, and kind of change change the complexion of the team a bit? Well, I, I guess I would argue that they actually don't bring it back. If you think about it, they let Correa go. They let Springer go. You know that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they let Garrett Cole go. They let Verlander go and just got him back at the deadline. So I actually think that They've done an incredible job of keeping this window of competitiveness open for longer than most teams do, as evidenced by seven straight LCS. You've got Altuve and Bregman signed for another year. There's no reason in the world to make significant changes. All they did was lose a game seven, which happens. Uh, To me, their dynasty is intact. And it's so funny. Everyone's saying that's it. It's the end of the Astros. And boy, what a threshold. If every team needed to say they lost game seven of the LCS to end a threshold, uh, no one would even start a threshold. <laughs> that's, that's true. There wouldn't be any point, would there, really? <laughs> it, it's crazy to me. They're so successful. Yeah, they got beaten yesterday. Dusty Baker said it exactly right. It's baseball. Javier had the worst start of his career. What are the chances but it happened. They'll be back in spring training, ready to go, and they're a very good team. And I don't see, uh, I don't see significant changes. One of the things about the Astros that I don't think people give them enough credit for, and as someone who's been the president of a team, I, I'd be interested in your take in this. I, it's great to go out and spend money on free agents the way the Phillies have and the way other teams have. But if you look at David, if you look at teams that have had sort of dynastic runs. One thing they do well is they make correct decisions on their own players. They extend the right guys. They don't trade the wrong guys in the middle of a in the middle of a run. And and then you kind of you kind of build around it. And it seems to me that's one of the thing the Ast- things the Astros have done well is They've signed a lot of their core guys to reasonable contracts, 
and then they've they've kind of built around him. And that look, that's what the Yankees did when they had Posada and Jeter. Yeah, they paid those guys a lot of money, but by and large, they made the right call on which of their homegrown dudes they should give money to. And I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of that. Well, I think that you and I and the three of us have spent hours talking about this exact subject as it relates to the Blue Jays and deciding in their position players who they're going to extend and who they're not because you bring up the point that is discussed in every front office. As we sit around eating pizza or lunch or whatever we're doing, who are we going to ride with and who are we going to let go? And we're projecting not just this year, but out over three years, five years, seven years. And I I couldn't agree with you more. That is the difference between a really good front office and a decent front office and then a crappy front office. Take a look at what they do with players who they know, not players they don't know. That's free agents. I'm talking about players that they know, their own players. Uh, Kyle Tucker uh, didn't have a good series, didn't have a good playoffs, uh, had 40 at-bats. Might have been the worst 40 at-bats he's had in a very long time. Front offices, how do they look at that? How do they judge that? How do they think about that? Or do they They know he's a good hitter, they forget about it, they wipe it clean, they think that it's just baseball? Hello? I think we may have lost David. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. That was such a good question that just How about that? Exploded. Mic drop. Sure, though, isn't it? I mean, you got to know what you have in your own team. Uh, successful teams do that. You know, even the Phillies. Again, the Phillies spend yeah. a lot of money, but they also made the right call on guys like, like Bohm, Bryson mm-hmm. Stott. I mean, they had Scott Kinger. They've gone through a, a ton of dudes in the middle of the infield. Uh, they made the right call in moving Bryson Stott to second brace, base and signing Trey Turner. Like yeah. it's you, you got to know your own dudes, and then you, they bring Johan Rojas up. You've got you've really got to know your own dudes. I think I, I would think it's harder to to not compare your organization to other ones that are good in the point. playoffs, right? That that would for yeah. me anyway. How do I get as good as they are? Well, maybe I can't. Like it's a lot of expectations to try and do that. I would think that if you're sitting around and you got tons of money, I want to spend a billion dollars. I got it. Why won't I do it to make us better? And I want to be in the ALCS or the NLCS. How would you do that? So okay, yeah. we've got David back. David, thanks for your uh, patience. Kevin, do you remember your question? Yeah, basically it was about Kyle Tucker and had a bad postseason and how do front offices look at that as an individual player that has and has been really good all season and most of the time in the playoffs, but was really, really bad. He wasn't, you know, eh, he was really bad. How do they look at that? Oh, we lost Samson again. You have to change you have to change to another question, Kevin. How about that? Your question is uh Maybe I'll he doesn't I want mean, to answer it. I mean, I'll that's ask why, you that. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I'll ask you that. I'll ask you that. I'll flip it. I'll flip it to you. We all talk about, you know, you got to come through in crunch time, right? The most important yeah. time of the year is Clutch the postseason. That. Do you? What's more important to you? Hundred and sixty-two real good games. Okay, now we got David. I'm going to ask the question in case you ask what I ask. <laughs> all right, because Kevin's had some bad luck here with 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 lines, David. Kyle Tucker had a bad postseason. He's had a good regular season. He's been a good player for this team. 
is there a tendency in some organizations to spend too much time or put too much energy into thinking about how a guy performs in the playoffs compared to the regular season? Only if they perform well. It's the most bizarre thing. When a player who's had an only an okay regular season has an amazing postseason, you tend to think that, oh, my God, let's pay him because that will translate to next regular season and we found ourselves a superstar. But conversely, when a player has a great regular season and a poor postseason, you just dismiss it as a bad, badly timed slump. So it's strange what we do. And I would tell you that the evaluation of Kyle Tucker doesn't change, though his at-bats were really bad, especially yeah. during the LCS. He was popping up everything. He was late to the ball. He didn't barrel anything. And, and it, it felt like he took it to the field a little bit. His, the way he went back on some of those balls, I've never seen one guy able to jump over the wall and have that many opportunities to take some home runs away. It just he wasn't the force that he was just like Pena wasn't either when he won the MVP last year. But you have to take your evaluation during the regular season and go with it. And I think Tucker will be in the middle of that lineup next year and will be very productive. Uh, GM's president's owner sitting around watching the four teams that are in it, and you're one of the teams that were in the playoffs. But uh, you say like the – I'll throw a team out there, like the Blue Jays offensively, right? Just sort of you look at even the Diamondbacks, right? If a couple of their guys were to start hitting a little, I guess you could throw the say the same thing about the Blue Jays, but it just it's got a different feel, right? You can sort of manufacture runs if you're the Diamondbacks. Blue Jays can't do that. Front offices sit around and do that like, man, we don't even match up against these four teams. We're not even close. How do we get to to being close? Do you even think about that while watching these games? Well, to make ourselves feel better, what we would say when there were teams with a lot of free agents on them is we would say, well, that can't be us. It's not our fault. We don't have the money to sign Turner this offseason or to sign Harper or with Texas to bring in Seager and Simeon and then DeGrom and have DeGrom not pitch and still have enough money available in payroll to overcome that. So it's easy to excuse our lack of success when you say, hey, we can't do that harder to excuse when teams like the Orioles or the, the Rays or the Marlins have success with lower payrolls because then you actually have to look at your owner and say, I'm sorry, I guess we should have done better. So it really depends on which teams are in it. And the Diamondbacks are an interesting example because their payroll is on the low side and they're not built with huge free agents at all. They make savvy trades and they put a lot of pressure on other teams' front offices. The Rangers don't put any pressure on anybody because they just built by continuing to to give out those huge contracts. That's how I look at the playoffs, and that's how uh, uh, GMs and presidents do as well. You know, one of the talking points, not just for the World Series, but for every every championship other than the Super Bowl. I guess it doesn't matter who's in the Super Bowl, but we go through this in the NBA. We go through it in the NHL as well. Teams, when you get to this point people start playing this game what what final does the commissioner's office want to see what what final will have will will have the biggest kick for uh for ratings or for uh, advertising or things like that now i've had uh, david i've had people tell me that baseball's a regional sport and the network tv contracts in baseball yeah they're important but it's not kind of the be-all and end-all and frankly 
I guess a long way getting around to this that the commissioner's office really doesn't care who's in the who, who's in the World Series. Is that true? No, uh, they'd like to see the Yankees versus the Dodgers every year if they could, <laughs> and uh, that would be their preference. Uh, it was made very clear to us 20 years ago that they'd prefer the Cubs to have beaten us, and it was preferred while the series was going on that they wanted the Cubs in the World Series because it would have been so great to have them against either the Red Sox or the Yankees that year. So baseball does care. That said, you embrace what the reality is, and if you don't get the teams you want, you've got to get the length. So a sweep by the Phillies over the Diamondbacks would be very bad. But a seven-game series between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks, that's good. Diamondbacks, Rangers, not ideal, but if it goes a long way and you get a six- or seven-game series, then the broadcasters are fine and the audience is fine. So that's really the key, is, is length of the series if you don't get the markets you want. David, is Jose Altuve – Jeff asked me this a couple of days ago, and I, I sort of fumbled around it because I, I don't know what I want my answer to be. And – because of the way I've seen Jose Altuve swing the bat since the banging of the trash cans, right? I can't get that out of my head. I want to force him to be a Hall of Famer. I want him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? He's a little dude that annihilates baseballs in the biggest moments. But I just can't get away from the banging, David, like I want to, but I can't. In your mind, is he a Hall of Famer? Guaranteed. Ooh. It's not even a question. Uh, and I'll tell you, by the way, he's my size. I'm 5'5". Five five. He he's listed at 5'6", but I see eye to eye hit to him when I'm with him. So we are the same size. And his strength and his ability to be clutch. Uh, think about where he is on the all-time power list in the postseason. It's insanity. He is definitely a Hall of Famer. And, you know, garbage cans notwithstanding, there are, there are those who believe that he did not benefit from sign stealing or from garbage cans that he didn't like it didn't want it but whatever the case is i think the writers understand that every team is trying to steal signs every team is using technology some teams use it better than others but i don't believe the writers will handle uh altuve the way they've handled some of the steroid guys no i'm with you i think he'll be uh, he for me he's the first but he'll i'll vote for him in his first ballot to me he's the first ballot hall of famer without without question um and and uh, i i i'm willing to bet that he will be a first ballot hall of famer but uh it, it uh it, it might be not with the vote total that a lot of people that a lot of people might think hey before we let you run i wanted to ask you about kim ing uh the marlin situation what what happened there what is is your understanding of, of of that particular situation and what do you think she does do you think she kind of takes a year off or gets one of those sort of ben charrington jobs or james click jobs where you're a senior advisor for a team for a year two years bide your time and then try to get back into the game well she certainly wants to be a number one somewhere and short of that i think that she's not going to take a number two job until she knows she won't get another number one job she could have a soft landing back in the commissioner's office that's a possibility i think the marlins just were really trying to get rid of the jeter denbo that's why they're getting rid of so many people because of how infectious they were in the organization 
and Kim was not a victim of that. Kim was brought in for various reasons, but I think that uh, what, what, what Bruce Sherman realized is that uh, he wanted a, a change at the top, and he wanted a change throughout the organization. I, I think that not enough people are talking about how bad Jeter was and Gary Denbo was for that organization. And uh, so I think that the Marlins are making smart moves to make changes. And I get why Kim wanted to leave if she didn't uh, get the raise that she wanted or the extension that she wanted or felt that she was more responsible than Bruce thought she was for building the team. Uh, I get all of that. That's why uh, executives leave companies, because there's a disconnect between what they think they're worth and what the owner thinks they're worth. That's not very uncommon, actually. I didn't take it as uh, this huge thing, other than the fact that she's a woman and the first female GM. My view is I want to treat, treat everyone the same. She was a GM who th- thought that she was worth more than the owner. Man or woman doesn't matter, and that's when you move on. So I, I didn't really think it was as big a story as it was made out to be. David, really good of you to join us. Thanks for your patience uh, yep. with the technical issues as always. We appreciate your time. Be well. Thank you so much. No worries. Have a great day. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's David Sampson, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, former president of the Marlins. Um, Game 7 tonight on Sportsnet, Phillies and Diamondbacks. Putting you on the spot, Barker. Who's going to win? I think with Suarez throwing, you you would have to lean on the side of the Phillies and Just not like losing with Christian Javier throwing two you games. Would lean on the side. Well, I I wasn't in love with that as much as you were, <laughs> but I think this sort of weighs that. And I think the big four for the Phillies were 0 for 13 last night. Yes. They ain't going to be 0 for 13 again. No. So I'm going with the Phillies. Yeah. I'm- I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised if this sucker's over early, to be honest. Uh, that's it for Blair and Barker today. A reminder, we'll be back from 11 to noon Eastern tomorrow on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, if you're listening to us wherever you get your favorite podcast, please leave a lovely rating and a review. Most importantly, enjoy the baseball.